this evening I would like to talk a little bit about faith. We know that when we say faith, uh, we say something radically different from belief. A belief is an opinion or a cluster of opinions and uh, often a belief is surrounded by attachment. So it seems to be often, not always, an opinion plus attachment to this opinion. And um, again, not always, but often belief seem to have a separative effect rather than a unitive effect. Um, sometimes one uh, might think of beliefs and belief as a manifestation of ego, of the spirit of, of, of separation. But when we talk about faith, we talk about um, true faith, I mean, when we talk about true faith, we talk about something basically objectless. We talk about uh, a thrust and a trust into that which is beyond words. And it is a strength, otherwise it's not faith. And it's not separative. It, it makes for union. So faith is, 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 a, is a, a wealth, is a, a very vital food in the spiritual path and generally speaking in, in life. Equating faith and belief is uh, a mistake, is a misunderstanding. And because of this misunderstanding, um, many destructive things happen in the past and that's still happening. So um, I like very much Paul Tillich, the Christian theologian, when he says uh, that faith is one of those words which most need healing. It's an important word. I don't think we uh, should get rid of it, but uh, it needs healing. In this tradition, faith is um, often presented as a quality as an inner quality, as a factor, like other quality, like qualities, like other inner qualities, um, wisdom, uh, loving kindness, equanimity. So factor, uh, faith is another factor to be cultivated, to be developed, to be trained. 
it is not that in Buddhism we don't have beliefs and we don't have uh, the dangers of belief, but there is this very interesting emphasis on faith as a psychological quality versus faith as a cognitive belief, as it is more predominant in other religious areas. You know, there is this, uh, in Buddhism, in the Dharma, there is this constant emphasis in training that we can train our mind and all the positive factors of our mind. There is a constant, you know, we are constantly reminded of this uh, vital possibility and as the time goes by and we keep practicing and studying, the very fact of being reminded of this possibility generates faith. Remember the Buddha when he says, uh, it is possible amongst. If it weren't possible, I wouldn't have asked you. So that, that uh, is, 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 um, an encouragement, a, a radical encouragement. One way faith is presented in the classic Buddhist tradition is a, in company of four other factors or bala strengths. Uh, virtues, spiritual virtues, uh, wisdom, faith, calm, energy, mindfulness. And they form um, a synergy, something which uh, work together. More specifically, um, there are two pairs and one supervisor. The two pairs are wisdom and faith and calm and energy. And the supervisor, of course, is good old mindfulness. Uh, in, in, the, in this tradition, in the classic tradition, it is often uh, equated to the prime minister uh, who, you know, is, uh, his presence is all pervasive. And, and wise, uh, at least if he's a good prime minister. And uh, so in this case, um, mindfulness sees that calm balances energy and vice versa, and that uh, wisdom and faith balance each other. See, if we, if we have calm without energy, what happens is that um, sleepiness, torpor, sloth, take over, and, um, and that's it. Whereas if energy is not balanced by calm, then we can have either physical restlessness or that kind of uh, frantic thinking and uh, getting excited about all sorts of trifles, you know, that energy unbalanced, off balance. And, and, and sometimes 
the main problem in the uh, uh, first few days of a retreat is that we don't have either. We don't have calm and we don't have energy. <laughs> uh, and that can get depressing, <laughs> especially second day. But um, as most of us know, for because of having done many retreats, uh, this is impermanent. <laughs> and uh, calm comes and energy comes. if we have faith and stick to the retreat. Um, so, uh, one way of presenting faith is in company of um, wisdom. It is said that um, faith without wisdom, without understanding, very easily uh, tends to become, uh, to turn into sentimentality, into blind devotion. Whereas this doesn't happen if um, understanding is supporting it. But what is more interesting is that uh, understanding, wisdom, without faith, it is said to be uh, inadequate, incomplete, uh, understanding without faith, it is said that it becomes dry, um, 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 cerebral speculation, even more, I remember one, one text in which says, without faith, understanding turns into distorted opinions. So faith um, plays a very important role. It is true that in uh, Buddhism, except for certain uh, Japanese schools, uh, faith is not given uh, overall importance, like uh, in uh, uh, other religions, faith is necessary and sufficient. In, in uh, uh, this tradition uh, we are dealing with now, uh, faith is not sufficient, but it's necessary. Because wisdom, which is the other, uh, polarity in the couple, without faith is like soulless. And how do we cultivate faith, given this, this uh, facts that we just uh, uh, exposed? And obviously, uh, the more understanding deepens, and the more faith deepens, and, and vice versa. So it's very understanding and faith are very closely uh, linked, very closely connected. But I think it would be helpful to, to, to have a closer look to this issue of, of, of uh, faith and practice. I think it's um, helpful if sometimes we investigate and we ask ourselves, uh, is there faith in, 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 in my attitude, in my relationship to the practice? And uh, do I want, do I want faith? Uh, is there space, is there room for faith, for more faith in my, in my practice? Now we can find that uh, yes, there is faith and that we feel very much helped 
and sustained and supported by faith. But we can also find out that there is little faith or not too much. Maybe we, uh, on exploration, on honest exploration, we, we find out that um, Dharma sounds a little bit too much exotic as a word, that uh, practice seems to work for other people only, uh, in our opinion, and that uh, liberation sounds a bit inflated as a concept. <laughs> and uh, so we, 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 we realize that um, we don't have that much faith. <laughs> so what, what, um, what can we do? If we keep exploring, we can find that if on the one hand we have little faith on the side of the practice, on the side of the Dharma, we have some sort of uh, negative faith on another side. In other words, we don't trust, just to, 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 to put it simply, we don't trust the Dharma, but we trust our kilesas, we trust our attachment, our aversion, our confusion. And uh, we are ready to swear in our negative judgments about the world, about ourselves, uh, we have strong faith in those judgments. We put a lot of energy, maybe inadvertently, where we put a lot of energy in feeding maybe a negative vision of the world. And it's very solid, that vision, and we don't question it. And we don't question this uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in kilesas we trust, <laughs> this, ki this kind of uh, uh, attitude. Uh, we think it's very natural. Uh, but it has to be questioned. Why do we put so much energy? Why, why do we believe? Why do we give our heart to our attachments and aversion? You know, it seems that uh, the, the etymology of the word shraddha, sadda, faith, is, is giving the heart. Um, so why do we give the heart to these uh, ideas that we have? And we have a hard time giving the heart to something more positive. This is a very important uh, type of investigation, a very crucial uh, type of um, meditation, of reflection. Because what we can uh, find out is that the reason uh, this thing is so powerful. The reason that we have this kind of strong negative faith is that is because uh, what it is all about is mental habits, is mental addictions. You know, there are not only chemical addictions, there are mental addictions. So we've been thinking and feeling in a certain way for years, for decades, like, for instance, having uh, negative views and judgments about this and that. And this thing have uh, acquired a density, a weight, a power, an authority 
very strong, but it's not rational. It's completely rational and yet very powerful. But as long as we are full of addictions, of mental addictions, then there is little room for faith because faith is a free opening, is a free openness, is a free thrust, and doesn't go very well together with addictions and their weight and their dead weight. So the more we see that actually we are being victims to those addictions and the less their power, their authority on us and the more room, the more space is, is made for this basic mystery which is faith, which is thrust and trust with no specific object. But we have to come to terms to those basic addictions whose classical name is kilesis. Otherwise there is no space, there is no room uh, for the faith to blossom and to gladden us because uh, the most conspicuous aspect of faith is that it gladdens us. It gives us lightness. So, once we start to understand that this process which created uh, addictions inside ourselves works both ways, works in a positive way as well. In other words, there is a negative momentum, but there, there is as well a positive momentum. So if we start uh, cultivating and repeating virtues instead of uh, negative attitudes, a momentum uh, starts. And uh, after months, years and decades, something builds up of a totally different kind in terms of virtue and, and loving-kindness and understanding. And this momentum, needless to say, that fosters faith. And this is why there is so much uh, emphasis in this tradition in generosity and ethics as a basis to develop the practice, to develop the path. Because dana and sila, generosity and ethics, uh, once they are cultivated, they generate this positive momentum which has a very opening effect and makes more and more room for faith. And faith in turn helps further dana, further generosity and further ethics. That is a very solid basis which is exactly the reverse of a destructive basis made of, uh, you know, destructive and negative attitudes.
another way of, of uh, talking about faith and understanding, faith and wisdom, is we can say that faith, faith, true faith, understands. That there is a, some sort of an intuitive knowledge, an intuitive understanding, which comes along with faith, which is carried uh, by faith inside, inside the faith. Um, like maybe in our practice, everything seems to be uh, unsatisfactory, everything is, seems to be frustrating, and um, you know, our rational minds draws the obvious conclusion, a negative one. <laughs> but there is something hidden or different, this push, this drive, which says, just keep doing it. And maybe uh, in the future, retrospectively, we'll be very happy that we just stuck to the practice, despite all those uh, uh, objectively um, unsatisfactory outcomes. It seems to know better. No, faith seems to know better. Uh, seems to have a, a bigger intelligence. For instance, less, much less time-bound. Again, if we, if we think, if we have the impression that we've been stuck in our practice for six years or more, well, faith doesn't seem to care that much. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's not, it's not tragic. It's not dramatic. Uh, see, it's been said very uh, rightly, I think, that the real opposite of faith, of fear, is faith. The opposite of fear is faith. I think it's very true. And I also think that uh, because of having this bigger intelligence, uh, faith is a very good antidote to the typically narrow intelligence of our ego, which tends to orchestrate and calculate and figure out and uh, all the burden of that kind of intelligence, of that kind of thinking, of that kind of constantly dividing and fragmenting and separating. Uh, there is a, a, a vastity in, in faith, uh, which is very soothing, healing. Of course, it can go uh, down. Sometimes faith is strong, and sometimes it's not.
an important uh, side of the same coin is the possibility, the increased possibility of letting go, which comes from, from faith. Like if we drop our worry because we've been stuck in our practice, we are letting go something. Thanks to this wider attitude, which comes from faith. The um, life of the Buddha, before um, he gets enlightened, is, if we think of it, an interesting series of moments of faith and letting go, coinciding. Uh, he begins by letting go of his family, of his uh, familiar world, and uh, uh, starting his search in the unknown. So he lets go of something, um, family, familiar world, comforts and everything. But he is very much helped in this letting go by this strong thrust. He wants to know, he wants to understand. So there is faith on the one hand and letting go on the other hand. Which, which maximizes the space for further faith, for further understanding, further letting go, because it keeps happening. He studies and practices with a couple of Hindu teachers, Hindu masters, and at one point they offer him uh, the leadership of their spiritual community, which uh, meant the offering of prestige in a world where uh, spiritual schools and community were very uh, numerous. Uh, the Buddha says, no, that wasn't enough. He had this uh, thrust into seeking the truth, and that uh, which he had found up to that moment felt uh, insufficient. So he lets go, he renounced the honor, the, uh, the status, and keeps searching. Is, is, is not afraid of, of letting go of something which uh, many others would have uh, immediately accepted. And he takes risks, of course. And once again, he starts doing uh, his penances, his uh, austerities, and um, you know, we all know he gets to the point uh, that he looks like a skeleton. But at one point he decides, no, this is not what I, will, what I was looking for. And uh, he has risked his reputation. Disciples uh, have left him because of his uh, uh, stopping austerities. He, he even accepts food from, from a woman. Um, <laughs> so he, you know, th there, is, there is letting go, letting go of, again, 
the, the, the status of, of being a, a, a famous and great, uh, great ascetic. And uh, he starts again searching with this, with this uh, treasure of faith and letting go at the same time, operating uh, together. It, it's a you know, fascinating archetypal uh, uh, path. And I find it uh, very interesting that in the uh, 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 Soto Zen tradition, faith is often defined as enlightenment before enlightenment. You know, like the, 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 the substance, uh, the fire, uh, Needless to say that to the extent that we nourish the faith in our practice, um, we nourish the faith outside the meditation hall, outside the uh, meditation setting, faith in uh, life, different from faith in, in, in survival. And it's also interesting to think that the more we develop faith, the more we, we let go, and the more, so to speak, what is left is something which was not there before, love, or um, compassion and understanding, which is what, what is meant by enlightenment. Or, if was already there, it was there in, in, in insufficient doses. And this is why we're all here, because we want more, much more. Our faith is telling us that the direction uh, is the spiritual direction. In the Mahayana tradition, um, it is said in one text that faith is the perfume, the scent of the unconditioned. Is uh, the unconditioned has um, this perfume, and um, we follow the scent, we follow the perfume. So we are not uh, separated from the unconditioned because there is this perfume which gives us uh, a way to pursue the unconditioned. And we tend to like this perfume more and more and other perfumes less. Uh, I remember prayer by St. Thomas Aquinas. He says something like, uh, if I look into my heart, I see so much unfaithfulness, and yet 
on the other hand, I realize that more and more I tend to say, I'm not interested in you uh, to say like this to any light which is different from your light. So perfumes which are different from that perfume uh, less become less interesting. I, I remember once I was doing a self-retreat and uh, I had this daydream or fantasy or whatever. And I, I, um, I found myself in this fantasy in a square downtown Rome. And um, in this square I was seeing an immense crowd uh, with people moving around in total silence. And everything was very intense. And I, uh, in, in this fantasy, I didn't understand. So uh, I asked someone what's happening. And this person in this fantasy or hallucination, I don't know what it was, says, uh, don't you know, love broke out. <laughs> <laughs> love is happening. And the people are so overwhelmed, are so speechless because of that, that uh, they um, maybe hold hands uh, briefly or touch e each other's faces. Uh, some of them were teary. But the main thing was that uh, everyone uh, wanted to meet everyone else. That uh, no one wanted to miss anyone. So there was this this silent movement because uh, everyone wanted to meet, to, to meet everyone else. Um, so this was the fantasy, which uh, was uh, certainly refreshingly different from many other fantasies that <laughs> one can have in meditation. But it, it, uh, it made me reflect. Uh, was like a myth, a, a new golden age or something like that. Made me reflect on the uh, uh, connection between letting go and, and love. Because uh, unless, evidently, 
as Ajahn Chah would say, one has an empty heart, empty of uh, worries and the like. So a, a heart completely uh, purified by letting go, then this kind of uh, uh, overwhelming interest uh, for other human beings uh, is not possible. There is in uh, Buddhist this image uh, of this definition of the Bodhisattva as someone who rejoices as soon as a living being passes by him or her. Uh, that, that, that complete freedom uh, leaves all this space to, uh, to be one. No more, no more split, no more conflict, no more difference. And if we learn some letting go, held by faith, then what might happen is that that kind of natural letting go, which happens in the process of dying, can maximize our opening up. Several practitioners have had high realizations during the process of dying. The letting go was uh, great, intense, and so equally intense was the space for uh, light. This means that if we practice, the likelihood for life to be a gift is great. But as well, the likelihood for death to be a gift is also great. When we start touching this area, this frontier of letting go, easily we develop a deep gratefulness for the practice, for the practice at large, which means life as well. And this gratefulness fosters faith very, very much. And it is priceless, absolutely priceless. And just one last thing. Faith has some strong intuitive understanding coming with it. 
And more and more, if we keep practicing, this understanding keeps telling us that we don't do the practice for ourselves only. That this is a very rational conclusion of our mind, but there is a growing, uh, a growing disbelief uh, on, 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 on the deeper, on the deepest side, that this is so. In other words, there is this growing suspicion coming through the practice that we absolutely are not doing it for ourselves only. That we do it for those who are uh, in contact with us, of course, but beyond. Who can prove that mind has boundaries, that love has boundaries? No one can. And this is the, the matter we are working on, mind, love, boundless. So, maybe sometimes we are discouraged, especially maybe at the end of the second day of a retreat. But if we, if we awake to these realities, then we feel fortunate. We feel very fortunate. And in, in, uh, in Asia, it's a standard tradition that at the beginning of a retreat, people are told that, you know, ending up in a retreat is a very good karma. And people are encouraged to make good use of this good destiny, of this good karma. So may we do good use of this retreat.